Women aren't born warriors, we become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week I'm interviewing women who through tragedy and triumph are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Every woman deserves a bathing suit that makes her feel fabulous. Sumanista bathing suits are designed for women by women and made using luxury recycled fabrics, giving women the confidence, comfort, and empowerment they deserve. Whether you're looking for something sporty or sexy, Swimanista bathing suits are designed to move and engineered to complement your body no matter your size. Get your special Warrior Women 15% discount by going to swimanista.com and using the code WARRIOR15. That's swimanista.com. Swim, I-N-I-S-T-A dot com. What do you do when you grow up ethnically ambiguous? When people are constantly asking you, where are you from? When you aren't black enough? When you're treated as an outsider? Well, my guest has learned that her path to joy is embracing who she is, not where she's from, and educating people about stereotypes and being self-deprecated. Being true to yourself, knowing who you are and celebrating it can be the most joyful journey of all. This is episode 62 and episode four of our series on joy. We have explored finding joy with Joey Guy June in episode 59, and we found the joy in aligning our purpose and our spirituality with Julianne Kirkland in episode 60. And we learned the joy of self-love and marrying yourself first in episode 61 with Fabiana. Go back and listen to these episodes if you haven't already. I'm loving this series on joy, and I feel like we all need more joy after surviving 2020. But before we get to meet today's guest, let's hear from today's sponsor. Need to level up your business, ladies? Join Boss Talks. Boss Talks is a global mentorship platform that empowers women to step out of their isolation, level up their business or career, and unleash their income potential through mentorship, connections, and community. Their overall mission is to increase the economic footprint of women globally. Join their free community plan where you'll get access to their amazing global community of women, complimentary access to monthly fireside chats with top women entrepreneurs, and practical business tips. But once you're ready to fast track your business and your revenue goals, upgrade to either a monthly or annual subscription for access to intensive training sessions by award-winning entrepreneurs, networking events, their event video library, guides, ebooks, and templates, and so much more. Go to bosstalks.com and check it out. That's boss, B-O-S-S, talks, T-A-L-K-S.com, Boss Talks. Today on the show, my friend, Tiffany Phillips. Tiffany is an actress, speaker, and singer who began her career in New York theater and has since gone on to appear in numerous television shows and films, from recurring as the BNC news anchor Angela Rains on Scandal to playing a sinister warrior skinwalker named Dark Spirit on MTV's Teen Wolf or the fictional 1950s film star Cynthia Beckley in the award-winning dramatic film Daughter of Fortune. 
Tiffany also wrote and starred in her smash hit, critically acclaimed one-woman play, I Never Met a Jerk I Didn't Like. I Never Met a Jerk I Didn't Like is my favorite title. Oh my God, Tiffany. (laughs) Where she played 10 different characters, both men and women, which sold out theater venues in both Los Angeles and Off-Broadway in New York. Currently, she stars in the comedy series Ethnically Ambiguous on YouTube, which she created and wrote herself. Tiffany just launched her new top-rated podcast called Self-Deprecated, and I can't wait to ask her all about it. Welcome to the show, Tiffany. Thank you, Liz. I'm so happy to be here with you. I mean, it only could be better if we were together in person, which right? we're hopefully going to see each other maybe like very soon because I God, think we, I have, we so. have to get a plan in place. We don't have a plan currently. Seriously, but it's good seeing your face and hearing your voice virtually, at least. Yeah, I'll and- take what I can get. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored and thrilled to be here. You know how much I love you and how yeah. amazing I think you are. So well, thank you at you. Me. Okay, <laughs> well, let's get into it because I know some things about you, which is, you know, the reason why I want to have you on this podcast, because I think you have some wisdom to share with us today. But tell me what it was like for you growing up, your childhood. What did you think you would grow up to be? And, and what was that like? Oh, God. Well, I think I came out of the womb performing. My mom said that, I was the loudest baby in the nursery that when I cried, (laughs) apparently the doctor, the nurses would would run down the halls with me. Baby Phillips is crying. Baby Phillips is crying. And my mom would be like, well, I mean, can't she just sleep with the other babies if she'd be trying to rest? No, Miss Phillips, whenever Tiffany cries, she wakes up the entire nursery. (laughs) So the doctor said, oh, she's going to be an opera singer one day, which he wasn't (laughs) too far off. I have used my voice to sing. I toured with Michael Bolton and and all of that. But when I was really little, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I remember on our, our, you know, school where you come to school as what you want to be when you grow up. And I loved animals. And so I thought I'd be a veterinarian, but I was always a performer and writing and You know, I grew up in a small town called Apple Valley, California. My parents were both in the military. They divorced when I was three years old. And I have two older brothers. And the place that we landed was probably not a place that my mom would have said, yeah, this is where I want to be a single mother and raise my three kids. It was in the high desert, middle of nowhere. I would say it's a pretty rednecky kind of town and more so back when I was growing up. So seeing kids like me who I'm black, but I aesthetically look like many different races. You're ethnically ambiguous. Ethnically ambiguous. Hello. But yet both of my parents are African-American. They just have different mixes in them and they're light skin, but really, you know, I'm black. So there was a lot of bullying, a lot of teasing, a lot of what are you, or I don't know what you are, so I'm going to call you ugly. So I grew up with these really awful seeds planted in me. Thank God I had a mother who'd said, you know, they're making fun of your lips now, but trust me, one day they're going to, they're going to be putting stuff in their lips to have fuller lips. And she was right. She was right. Oh my God. How did she know that? That's amazing. Exactly. I'm like, I'm ahead of my time. I was ahead of my time then. How did you deal with that? How did, but seriously, really, how did you deal? Did you feel like you were alone all the time? Because you didn't see people who look like you, Tiffany. So did you just feel like what What's going on with me? Like, are there people that look like me? I think I got the worst of it in elementary school. Kids can be cruel. And I would come home crying every other day, my mom said. My mom said at one point she wanted to go to the school and physically beat these kids, these little seven-year-olds up, like, leave my, totally. my kid alone. 
I would say that it did build some character in me and strength and these situations growing up as bad as they were, they kind of made me who I am today. They gave me a bit of a thicker skin. And I ended up getting into the entertainment industry, which you need not just a thick skin, but a suit of armor <laughs> yes, to be with to be an actor and a, exactly. and a razor blade. Sticking you know what I'm eye. talking about because you used to be an actress too, so you know it is no yeah. joke. I, so a lot of insecurity, self esteem issues growing up, wishing I looked more like you, Liz, with the blonde hair and the blue eyes, because that's what was considered pretty when I was growing up, at least in the town that I grew up in. Yeah. And then cut to me going to New York City at 17 years old to go to college in New York, it was like, oh, who is this? Oh, you are this and blah, oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Oh and yeah. It was like, oh, okay. Cause New York was this big melting pot of ethnicities. And that's when I really got a taste of, uh, of what it, that, that this physical body that I came into this world in is actually a good thing. And I started embracing who I was and stop trying to prove myself to everybody. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> mean, listen, of- I mean, if you can, if you can get that at 17, I'm still working on that. I'm 51, but that is amazing that you got to go to somewhere like New York where you're right. Differences are celebrated and being mm-hmm. different is kind of a cool thing versus, you know, there's some places you could have landed at, even after that, where again, it's just about conforming, looking the same, you know, I mean, really that's, that's a great thing that you got that kind of empowerment, that early and that it built and that you built up your little armor before you even got there. So I'm glad for that. You created and starred in I Never Met a Jerk I Didn't Like. (laughs) I told you that is the best damn title. Um, You played 10 different characters, men and women, and this was a huge success. Tell me about this. And I mean, that titles everything. Tell me about this show and how it came about. I think I might know. People would come to the show. They didn't even know what the show was about, but they heard the title and they went, oh, story of my life. I'm coming. But (laughs) it started because let's say I went through a 10 year jerk phase (laughs) where I was one of those girls who it, it, if you were a douchebag, if anybody at any time in your life has called you a douchebag, I'm going to want to get to know you. Like I would go after the guys that weren't paying me any attention and the worse off they were, the more I wanted them, the more attracted I was to them. But yet I had these great guys that were doing all the right things. And I'm like, meh, you're boring. You Ah. seem boring. I know, right? The good (laughs) ones always seem boring. Why is that? Oh my God. I don't even know. I think what the jerks have is confidence. Like they yeah. have this unwavering confidence. That's borderline narcissism, but still, you know, it's it's hot. It's attractive to us women. I was sitting on the porch with my mom. This is how my mother named my show Liz. I was sitting on the porch with my mom, lamenting about one of the many jerks I was involved with at that time. And she goes, honey, you need to write a book and you need to call it. I never met a jerk I didn't like. And that was it. I mean, that she's was a it. damn genius is what she was. She was literally the funniest person I knew, like to this day without even trying. And I didn't write a book, but I did do a one woman show called I Never Met a Jerk I Didn't Like. My mother, she's the one. She named my show. She knew it. She saw that. She was like, I see a theme. I see mm-hmm. a show. There's I see entertainment. Theme. Tell me about Ethnically Ambiguous. Why is it so important to tell these stories? I mean, I think for you, you know, especially the way you grew up, it's really great to tell to me to tell these stories so that other people can be like, "Uh uh-huh, that's me too. 
Because like when you see somebody else having your a similar story or a similar experience, you feel so much better. You feel connected. You're not alone. Is yeah. that why you did it? Like, why? Tell me about this this project. Well, I felt like nobody was really sharing the story of people who are unidentifiable racially. The, the people who are walking around and someone's constantly asking you, what are you? What are you? Which always gets me because it's not even a, a fact, a matter of what are you? It's You should want to know who I am, not what I am. But it's all about perception. Since I've been in this industry, this is a very label-driven industry, as you know, Sometimes I'm not black enough. Then I have to be Latin. I'm not really Latin. I have to do how they see me. Oh, you look like you're more Latin. Oh, you look Asian. You look this. So they put me in this ethnically ambiguous category, but I don't really fit in any particular box. And there's a lot of people out there like me. And so I had to write this series and do it in a comical way to kind of educate people. Like, for example, not all black people look like Wesley Snipes. Not all Asian people look like Jackie Chan and do, you know, karate. It's, it's, it's all the stereotypes and these ethnic tropes that society puts on us that I'm just kind of trying to break away here. But in not beating you over the head with it, I do it in a comedic way where you're getting the lesson and you're getting the learning, but learning, but you're also laughing. And so that's why I created the series. And it's based on, loosely based on my life as an actress in this industry, all the different ethnicities that I play. Girl, I've played. Oh Native my God, you played everything. It's insane. Everything. It's 50-50. It's a great thing. And it also has hindered me in ways, especially when they're looking for something specific. Ironically, I've played other ethnicities more than I've played my own ethnicity, which is African-American. So I think weird. It, isn't that funny? Because the industry kind of doesn't, I always say that they kind of stop at Halle Berry light. <laughs> like, and then they don't go any further. Yeah, then they're like, it's rare. I feel like it's rare that I see really like, cause I'm, let's be real. I'm almost damn near porcelain, okay? Uh, it's rare that I see that and they're playing an African-American woman or, or male, especially, I, I can't even imagine for the men what the light-skinned males might go, must go through. I just had to share yeah. these experiences. And it's and something we don't think about if, unless it's us, unless it's mm -hmm. our thing, right? Exactly. We're not even thinking about it. And, you know, I had this woman on my podcast, Sandra Hugh, and she was saying the same thing about, where are you from? No, really, where are you from? And she's like, I'm from Los Angeles. <laughs> Like, and, and I was like, shit, I, I, I kind of understand what she's saying. Like mm -hmm. that must like at first when people are asking you that the first 600 times, mm -hmm. maybe you're patient, maybe you take it. But after a while you start to say, are you telling me that I shouldn't be here? Are you saying I don't belong? Are you trying to single me out? Like, it, I don't know. I can see how that could build over time. And you're like, shut up. Mm -hmm. I am American. Like, just get off my back. Like, we are a melting pot. Get over yourself. We are. So I think like that, you, oh, that you're doing. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that the where are you from is code for what are you. Yes. <laughs> I always say that when everyone's like, where are you from? I'm mean, Apple Valley. But yeah. you know what? Real, where are you really from? I, I know what you're trying to ask me. What are you? That's what you're yeah. trying to ask me. <laughs> yeah. Is there a way that someone can ask that that would be better? Or you just don't want people to ask you that? I don't mind that people ask me that because it's curiosity. And also people need to know how to be with you. I hate to say it because uh, my brother, he works in the prison system and he's very light skinned. He's got these blue eyes and 
he may have been around people at times and maybe they've said some racist stuff. And then later they find out he's black and they <laughs> almost feel like, yeah. okay. Yeah. Then they almost feel like, Ooh, did you set us up? Oh, wait, why didn't you tell us you were black? Well, because I don't need to walk around with a t-shirt saying I'm black. I don't need to explain myself to you. Right. So exactly. I think it's just the way you ask somebody. Right. <laughs> So curiosity is not bad. It's more the way you ask someone like as if they don't belong and you're digging and digging for the information to show them that they don't, which is obviously not the same as having a curiosity about somebody or like, you know, where are your parents from or were you born here or whatever, all the things. But even those, I don't know, even the were you born here, I don't know. To me, I'm always like, let's 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 move the conversation a little to a higher ground hello <laughs> tell me about your podcast self-deprecated you launched it it's getting rave reviews what is the premise of having a podcast called self-deprecated <laughs> well it's so funny because I'd wanted to start a podcast for years I even bought podcast equipment oh like two and a half years ago that basically collected dust and then I met Becky Harrington and I met you and now I've life launched this podcast and self-deprecate because I wanted something that would bring joy into people's lives and laughter, but also inspiration at the same time. I didn't want it to be another, you know, self-help, you know, here, here's how you raise your vibration type of podcast. So the self-deprecated to me, there, there is like a negative stigma to it. Like, ooh, you know, self-deprecate is all about putting yourself down. But really, it's just being able to laugh at yourself. When you're confident and secure in yourself, you can laugh at yourself and not take you or others so dang seriously because life is serious enough. So this kind of spotlights uh, laughter, really. And it's authentic and it's real. And I share my experience, my self-deprecating moments. And I laugh with my guests about it. Like I laugh with you about it and how laughter has uh, carried us through in our lives and healed us in many ways. And so it's just about finding the funny in life's most deprecating moments. And it's been so much fun thus far. Such a blast. (laughs) Has it changed your life? Because I, Becky and I always say, it's going to change your life. It's going to change your life. Has it changed your life? Like it's one of those things where, especially as an actor, because I was an actor for 575 years, I used to hate that I had to look great for your age. I know, (laughs) But I used to hate when people would like had to tell me when I was going to act. I was like, no, I'm an actor. I'll act when I want to act. So when you have something that's a project you're creating and it goes from you seeking roles to people seeking you, there is a great mother freaking vindication in that feeling. I got to tell you, it feels good. It feels good for say to have someone say, Tiffany, can I come on your podcast? And you say, well, I'm booked right now and I'll see if I can squeeze you in another month. So is it, I mean, tell me, is that not a validation? It is. is. And I'm not quite there yet, Liz. You've you've been doing it a little bit longer than me. I'm on episode seven, almost, almost there. I aspire to get to where you are. You're just killing it. But um, yeah, I'm on episode seven now. And thus far, yes, it has changed my life. And I've already had a couple people reach out who I don't know. I had my first guest who was a total stranger who just found me listening to my podcast. And she has this book coming out called Shit Adults Don't Tell You, which I thought was perfect for my podcast. What a great title. Right? So it was great. It was great. It gives me something to look forward to. Oh my gosh. You know what I mean? Yes. (laughs) And you're going to have great conversations and you're going to meet people and you're going to be stay connected to them. That's how I feel about it. 
Like these people come in, these women come into my life and then they're in my life. That's it. Like, you know that I have, I, you'll see, because once you're on, then I start having little like networking parties and I invite all the guests and it's really, really fun. And they just are blown away by each other. So that is what just makes me so happy and makes my heart sing is to connect these warrior women together and just introduce them and just watch them in the room together. I like freak out. I'm so happy about it. You're um, so, so is there anything you do not do? Like, oh, <laughs> please. How do you- <laughs> Plenty of things I don't do. <laughs> Plenty. I'm just saying. Don't ask my husband. Um, <laughs> anyway, to take it to a completely different and serious level, I recently, I was telling you, I lost two friends to cancer. One was my friend's husband who it was just a wonderful guy. And I was with her and him when he passed. And I just had no idea, Tiffany. I thought when someone passed, like I had the steel magnolias version of death in my mind. I was like, oh, they take away the tube and the person just floats off. Uh, No, no, it is very brutal. It's very hard. There's, of course, there's beautiful moments. Of course, there's sweet moments. There's meaningful moments, but it's just overall just a really hard thing. And, you know, when I found out that you had lost you had lost your parents back to back 2018 and 2019. It blew my mind, Tiffany, because you are such a sunny bun. When I met you the first day I met you, I was, I loved you. I thought you were so fun. Like your energy is, I, I feel, I told you, I feel like I do drugs when like, when I'm around you, I feel like I'm on drugs. Like, I really think you're so I do fun. slip something in your drink, by the way. That, I didn't what, tell you that. that? <laughs> oh God. I knew it was something, but no, but seriously, I, I feel like high off your awesome energy. And mm-hmm. so knowing that, I kind of want to know, because I'm kind of going through it right now, how do, although yours is on a much, I mean, more real level, but still, how do you go through the grief and still kind of allow yourself, frankly, to feel the joy or to to even get to a place where you can feel it? How did you get through those back-to-back moments? Mm. Well, I agree with you that the watching someone leave this earth is not as beautiful and warm. I watched the person I cared about the most, my mother, uh, slowly suffer. And it was be, uh, traumatic is, is an understatement uh, to, to witness that. And it was somebody who I feel should have had a peaceful death, should have died in her sleep. She's a good person, uh, been of service all her life, and she has to go out like that. So there was a lot of anger there, festering. Uh, I was yelling at nurses. It was a, a dark time for me, obviously. And then six months later, my dad passes. And it was almost, it was one of those moments where you just look up in the sky and you go, what the Mom, yeah, what in the world? Kidding me right now? But what has kept me going and brought my joy back? Because I went through a period of just obviously I needed to be in alone, laying in my bed, crying. I had to cry it out, and I still cry. I will cry at random times. It doesn't go away. But my mom and my dad, the only thing they wanted from me and my brothers is for us to be happy, to be flourishing, to be successful. They wanted us to be happy. My mom used to always say, I just want you to be happy. I just want my dad, I want you to be happy. So that's how I honor them. Whenever I want to just cave, go sit in a corner and, and curl up and just die. <laughs> yeah. 
I keep hearing my parents saying, I want you to be happy. I want you to be happy. And so by being happy, by finding my joy, spreading that joy to others, spreading my love to others, that's how I honor them. That's That's how I honor them. That is a great way of looking at it because I think there's also like a guilt, right? Like if you're being happy, then then you're not honoring them somehow. Like you have to show people, I'm crying all the time. And and that is not that is not what you need to do. That you're right. You, to honor them with living a great life, a happy life. I mean, that is what they want. And truthfully, we're the ones down here on earth who are suffering now. Yes. These people are dancing and having good times up in heaven. Yes, we are, are the ones suffering. We are the ones missing them. So I think you do have to kind of push yourself. Obviously, you had to go through it. You had to be in that space. But it's good to know that it doesn't go anywhere because I think no. the misconception is like it's over one day. And I think people want you to kind of get over it sooner than maybe you maybe you want to. Yeah. You know, the stages of grief. I don't even know if I went through those stages. There's no textbook way to grieve. And, and the thing is, especially when you lose people like your parents, a husband, a wife, a child, God forbid, the grief is a lifetime. It does not go away. You learn how to deal with it. <laughs> you learn yeah. how to live with it. And when you feel, when I feel like I need to cry, I, I cry. I take a moment and cry. And there are days that I start picturing my mom in, my ho- in that hospital bed. It mm. took a while for me to get past seeing that vision in my head and starting to see the happy moments with her, like her dancing in the kitchen, our trip to Washington and us just skipping along up to the Washington Monument. To see her like that, i that's how I want to remember her. But it took a minute for me to get the imprint of her suffering, of her in that hospital bed. taking. Yeah. And that's not her. Let's just think about that. It's that final her. moment is not even a exactly remote reflection of that life that was lived, right? But it's so scarring it and is. jarring that you can't help but hold on to it a little bit. But it isn't a representation of her at all, if you think no. about that, right? It's just a body. It's just a body. They've left. Their spirits have left. My mom, I had a channel. I went and saw some channelers afterwards, of course, because I'm trying to get a hold of my mom and my dad. And and yes, I pray. I do all of that. But sometimes I just want somebody to kind of tap in. How are they doing? Can you, can you just tell me? And apparently my mom is the life of the party up in heaven, okay? <laughs> And my dad is charming the ladies per usual. So oh, like well for them. <laughs> they're, they're doing well. just fine and oh they're God. proud of me and they want me to be happy. That, that's all they want. I love it, Tiffany. Well, I'm so proud of you and how you live your life to honor them that way. Tell me what is next for you? What's your next chapter going to look like? Well, when I'm done with this podcast, I'm about to go and make me a sandwich, girl. A sandwich. <laughs> that is what is next for me. Oh, no. Okay. Let me real. Okay. So what's next for me? I'm writing What do book. you want to be next? Or what are you, what are you kind of looking forward to? I want to be married. Yeah, <laughs> I'm ready to, you want to be married. You need I, a man. I think, I can't believe I'm even saying this, but yeah. You I know what? Ready. Why not? Let's put it out there. You want a good man. Yes, I have matured and grown out of the bad boys. And now I'm ready for my good man who happens to be smoking hot. Thank you. Just want to put that out there. Smoking hot. Uh, And I'm writing a book, my first book, and it's called Own It, No Approval Needed. And this is just about owning exactly who you are. And I share stories from my past and the bullying and identity, how I've struggled with that a lot most of my life and how I'm coming to a place and I'm still 
learning to come to a place of full acceptance of who I am and loving exactly who I am. And so I feel like my, these stories will help others, yeah. uh, especially people that are biracial, multiracial, mixed up where people where society doesn't know where to place them. Honestly, Liz, in 2050, the whole world's going to be ethnically. A hundred percent. Okay. Let's just be real. A hundred percent. So writing this book, I'm getting into speaking, uh, and, and not like, you know, of course we speak every day, but you know what I mean, Liz, like public speaking, public speaking. I also will say, I told you this before, but I think you haven't even scratched the surface of all the things you're really here to do. And I think that's really exciting. Like really, really exciting. All the things I, I think the future is very bright for you and this man that's coming. Thanks, Liz. I love you for that. It's party time now. It's time for the speed route. Yes. Ooh, okay, okay. And you're since you're a comedian and you're good at improv and all the things, I know you're going to be the best one at this whole thing. No pressure. Oh, that's a lot of pressure. I am no pressure. I got this. True. Okay. Cocktail of choice, my love. Cocktail of choice. Cosmopolitan because um, it makes me feel like Carrie Bradshaw from Sex and the City. (laughs) So true. That's the best feeling in the world. Mantra or quote you live by? Ah, okay. That is be who you are and say what you feel because those who don't mind matter and those who matter don't mind. Whoop. Thank you. I love that. What makes you feel unstoppable? Please do that again. (laughs) What makes you feel unstoppable? I would have to say being true to myself. That Mm. makes me feel unstoppable. When you have the self-respect and confidence to live your life on your own terms, and when something isn't right in your life, you change it. Mm, I love that. I love that. Who do you admire? My mom. My mom and my dad, really. Dancing up there, dancing. Yeah. My mom is, uh, she just what she went through, and, and she still kept her humor, even though she was going through those brutal chemo treatments, she was still cracking jokes, Liz, and and what she's gone through in her life and accomplished as a single mother. She was a deputy sheriff. Uh, she was the first what? black Oakland Raiderette when, back in the 1960s when they had a team. She She's just a phenomenal, phenomenal woman. She was a trailblazer and a history maker. And I think she was the only black female officer on the force back in the eighties when she was a deputy sheriff. Can you imagine the crap she must've went through? And she was in the air force back in the day where they would uh, honorably discharge you as a woman, if you got pregnant. So that's why she didn't get to to finish being in the air force because she got pregnant with us kids. So I honor my mom and and she's my ultimate hero and I admire her and will always admire her. Well, you are the daughter of a trailblazer, daughter of a warrior. warrior. That is why you are a warrior woman. It's in your genes. I love it. Yes. What are you most proud of? My resilience. Yes. You have to be resilient, actually, (laughs) to be an actor in this industry. And you have to be able to bounce back after every rejection. And here I am. I'm still pounding the pavement, still pursuing it and... I have sacrificed a lot to be in this industry. And then my resilience after losing both of my parents, I didn't realize how just how resilient I was. So yeah. I'm really proud of that. You should be proud of that because let me tell you, you don't know what you can go through until you are until going you go through, through it. Because if you had told me, oh, you're going to be with Coco for Christmas in the hospital and she's going to get mm. diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, I would say, ah, no, Tiffany, I'm not doing that. But guess what? 
I did it. You made it through. You've made it through all these big things in your life. And you know what? When you know you can do something that hard, you almost are a little bit like, whatever, I got this. Like, back off. I got it all. Don't come with me with your little stuff. I can't. What is exciting you the most right now? My podcast. Yes. (laughs) Yes, that it's is so definitely good. what's exciting. It's so exciting to to do these interviews and to connect with people and meet people and just and the response is getting. That's very exciting. Like I said, it's something to look forward to yeah. other than an audition or a job or whatever. This is something that I'm excited about. Yeah. Well, you're a natural at it. I told you I bring a lot of people through the podcast you know, process as a coach. And I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I, you know, when Becky and I were talking about you, I was like, she's a natural man. Like it, it's, you can't, there's certain things you cannot teach and you've got that thing. You got that thing you can't teach. So bravo sister for you. Coming from you. That is high praise, Liz. High praise. High praise. <laughs> Thank you so much, oh. Tiffany, for coming on and like sharing all that wisdom, because I do think a lot of people are going, are grieving right now. Yeah. And to know that you can honor people by being your resilient, joyful, you can still cry. You yes. can still cry, but that you can honor people who have passed with your resilience, your, your brilliance and your humor is really inspiring. Thank you. I appreciate that, Liz. And I love you so much. And again, so happy to have been on your podcast. I've been looking forward to this so much Yeah, because <laughs> I love your podcast. No, I, love you. <laughs> I love your podcast too. Okay. I love you, Tiffany. Thank you for coming on. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining me today. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You just have to ask her. Bye.